I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch the upsetting one. to get into what the fuck I'm talking about because there's a lot to talk about in our new month. It's our new where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course uh, of a month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. That'll be easy to do this month because almost all the movies revolve around one rather famous green giant guy by the name of Godzilla. He's our God. He's our Zilla. He sells properties down by the lakefront. Uh, and he's great. He's to- Todd Zillow, the um, CEO of Zillow, I assume. Yeah. Like, I, like I said to you when you tried out that joke in text, uh, less Aaron, destructive than Zillow. 2022 is the year that you let me get away with recycling text jokes. What, We've what, talked about this. I'm trying to figure out which is funnier. <laughs> no. I haven't Get decided. away with them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You want to take it again? No. <laughs> I just need to shout. It's okay. You. If you would have said something, and I would have shouted. You sent this in a text. <laughs> <laughs> this should have been an email. This one shouldn't have been a meeting. <laughs> this whole podcast could be a text. Uh, but we're doing size does matter. To honestly, appraise each other on mic. People need to hear us working through issues. They need to see a peek behind the curtain. People want to see a relationship breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> That's when they listen to a podcast. About Godzilla, first and foremost, how are the hosts holding up as friends? <laughs> Critically important. Um, it's uh, uh, This is 100% true and maybe worthy of cutting, um, but I listened to a podcast recently where it started like this, and I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't need to try out this one anymore. So if you're a new <laughs> listener, I apologize uh, that those are the vibes. We don't want you. They didn't want me. We don't want you. But yeah, we're doing Size Does Matter Month, which is um, the tagline to the 1998 Godzilla movie that we will not be covering, but it's a very funny tagline that was trying to shoot on Jurassic Park. I think it, and but we're doing a supersized month. This is our fourth uh, summer supersized month. We're actually doing nine episodes throughout the course of the summer, and we're using the, uh, the, the seasons by the sun. None of this like month based seasons where June. July and August count as the summer. I got news for you. June? That is 75% spring, my friend. And September? 75% summer. You may not like it. You may not accept it. But the science 
and the calendars are on my side, Peter. Yeah, I mean... Solar summer! I know that it's because I'm the only one here, but, you know, I agree with you. You don't have to argue Solar summer. We're doing supersized solar summer. Which um, is a lot of fun alliteration. If, I mean, that's... You put, yeah, you, put, you know what's very radioactive? Yep. What? Do you know the what's sun? very radioactive? The sun? the sun? Do you know what's yep. also very radioactive? Uh, Godzilla? Godzilla! They're both very radioactive! You know what else is good about supersized solar summer? It's the right amount of S's to abbreviate without raising any concern. It's the correct amount, you're right. One less, one less S. Big problem. You could add two more, I think. Oh, you could add as many more. It's this, You can't subtract one. You can't just call it solar summer. Because then that's SS. Mm. Not as good. Uh, but yeah, we're covering a, a bunch of Godzilla movies, some movies inspired by Godzilla. We're, we're trying to do what we do a lot of times on these supersized summer months, which is to go through a little bit of an arc. Uh, but also uh, have room for some tangents. And so we're we're doing Godzilla. I'll frame up the month to start, and then we'll get right into it because we have a lot to talk about. So uh, we're starting with uh, today, the original Godzilla movie. Not just uh, Not just the movie that inspired almost everything that we're about to cover, but also a movie, as we'll talk about, that really created a new way to do monster movies that wasn't like claymation or optical effects but uh literally a guy in a suit called suitmation um that changed the way a lot of uh you know japanese and other monster movies uh giant kaiju movies were made uh then the show series is like 14 or 13 films long and it really goes through this arc of higher budgets and a little more serious to extremely goofy and then it kind of ends with this kind of a return to seriousness it also changes the arc from the beginning to the end of uh, godzilla uh godzilla being a, a villain or at least a force of nature that's destroying and killing people to the savior of tokyo um so we're going to cover four movies from that era over two episodes uh, then we're going to take a little bit of a side trip to talk about a movie called The X from Outer Space. There are hundreds, and I'm no exaggeration, hundreds of kaiju movies that were produced in Japan in the 50s, 60s, and 70s because of the popularity of of Godzilla. And we tried to pick one that was not made by Toho Studios, which I think is important because Toho uh, and Shiro Hondu directed a lot of these, even if they weren't directly a Godzilla movie. Uh, so we're doing the X from Outer Space. Then we're going to get into the Hisei uh, series, which is uh, one that reboots Godzilla. It, it takes this original movie we're going to talk about today as uh, as the only canon. It kind of does a Halloween uh, thing. Uh, and, it, and it starts a new series with uh, The Return of Godzilla or Godzilla 1985 in the United States. And it kind of, again, starts him out as a uh, as a force of nature, but a destructive force of nature. And eventually shifts him into a force of nature that still hurts people. And it's a little less of a goofy good guy that he got in the Showa series. Uh, but, but, um, but also one that still protects... Uh, Tokyo from these other even more destructive force of nature it's sort of like you know it's a he, he's an animal Tokyo's his territory he will stop other animals or destructive forces from hurting Tokyo 
while also not being like a actual anthropomorphic uh, animal that like wants to save people and make friends with them. Um, so we're going to do a couple movies from that series. Uh, then we're going to take a trip into the Millennium series. We're only going to do one movie from the Millennium series, but the Millennium series is interesting, Peter, because uh, it each one posits itself as a direct sequel to uh, Godzilla 1954, the one we're going to be covering today. Uh, they're not connected. In successive order? Or they're all re like almost reboot calls. Every every single one basically it resets everything and makes the original the only they're all sequels to the original separately. So there's like six at least movies that are direct sequels to the original? Uh six or seven more than, so Shin Godzilla too. So that's actually a very Every single movie in the Godzilla canon, regardless of what canon and what, you know, it is and all of them posit themselves uh, as sequels to the original. Some start, you know, start a new series and then continue on. The Millennium series, for example, is one where uh, there's there's two that are a sequel to each other. Like one uh, one follows it. I think it's um, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla is a sequel to Godzilla 1954. And then that one has a finality sequel called uh, Tokyo SOS. But other than that, they're all they're all their own direct sequel to the original. Um, so we're going to cover one movie from there, one that a lot of people like and is very excessive called Final Wars. We're going to take a, another trip into American Godzilla uh, with uh, the, the 2014 remake. Maybe it's sequel, depending on how we're feeling about double features at that point. We're going to take another look into movies inspired by Godzilla with uh, uh, returning to one of our old friends, Del Toro, and, this, uh, and covering Pacific Rim. Uh, and then we're going to end it with the one live-action movie so far, the Rewa series, uh, called Shin Godzilla, another movie that posits itself a direct sequel to Godzilla 1954. So, yeah, among 30-plus movies and uh, all these continuities, what you're 100% right, Peter, and it sounds like you're finding out for the first time. All of them, whether the beginning of the new series or uh, in its own isolated sequel – posit themselves as some form of follow-up from this movie no series at least japanese series wipes this one off the face of the earth and starts over it all it all comes from here i think i think i'd have to remember but i'm pretty sure godzilla 2014 is a sequel to this to this movie as well i it's been a while i don't think i've seen it since it came out in theaters but it starts with the black and white footage about uh you know Godzilla over over Tokyo and that it kind of been wiped out from memory which uh you know starts the whatever the project monarch or whatever exists in those movies so i think with the exception of Godzilla 1998 which we're not going to cover i think everything we're covering really still directly looks to this movie as its as a, its source material and and so this is it does have some resonances with our other series Star Trek in that Aaron is more of the expert and I'm more along for the ride. Technically, I have seen uh, 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 eight of the Godzilla movies uh, that are attached to the uh, either the original series as reboots, sequels, whatever. And if you count if you count Kong Skull Island, that brings me to eight. Um, so uh, I have not seen much in between. So you've watched f- five uh, Japanese ones or Toho I Studios seen, ones, right? Because you've um, seen because you've seen the first five three. Japanese ones. Yes. Yeah, the five. first three, 
Godzilla vs. Smog Monster, which was, or Hedora, which was the fifth movie we ever covered on this show a long time yeah. ago. And then, uh, and then Shin Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I, I started going through the series, uh, long time. I don't know. Yeah, yes. I, I, I guess, um, Seven years ago or so? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it was one of the, I think before, it was definitely before we had this podcast because uh, Zach Groton, who will be joining us uh, next week to talk about a couple of the show movies, we were talking about it a lot and you were like, oh, it might be fun to do that. And I think you, you watch Godzilla, which you loved, you watch Godzilla Raids again, and then King Kong versus Godzilla, and then you, you stopped. That was all, worth noting, too. Six, seven years ago, it was a fucking mess to try to watch all these movies. It's still not perfect, but especially then. It was before that Criterion box set. Before they were all on the Criterion channel and HBO Max and everything. It was, I mean, I didn't even own a lot of the original ones. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in my Godzilla fandom. That, like, one of the things that, like, really, I think, helped encourage me to be obsessive about this was it was very difficult to watch all these movies, even... When I discovered, when I tried to as a kid, yeah, I, I, so when I was a kid, there was a, it wasn't public access, but it was more of, it was one of those channels that got a lot of cheap content. Um, yeah. So you know, whatever they would play like Gunsmoke in the middle of the day, and I mostly wouldn't watch it because it was mostly just kind of stuff that didn't appeal to me. But every so often, they would have Godzilla rerun or Godzilla movies on. Um, uh, dubbed, of course, uh, Godzilla movies just playing in the middle of the day. And I would jump in in the middle and like watch like a fight or two. And then, you know, I would, I would inevitably get distracted and go do something else. Like I, 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 I liked these movies as a kid because they appealed to <clears throat> my sense of, of scale and spectacle. Um, but I couldn't get over, I think when I was a kid, I couldn't get over the dubbing. And also like, I, I don't know, it was just jumping in a movie in the middle is kind of confusing for you, especially for a kid. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Oh, I, you know, I, the reason I don't understand this is because, um, you know, I'm in the middle of it <laughs> as opposed to, you know, they're si- silly. A lot of these movies are very silly and goofy and, and, you know, they're, they're, they use a lot of pseudoscience and, and um, I should say like pop, pop sci-fi. Yeah. Um, where there, there's uh, the, all, the, all these strange, weird devices that serve one thematic purpose. Um, and it was to help the screenwriters get the movie in under 90 minutes. Um, so I, I, I can't say I have seen any more than the eight Godzilla movies uh, because I, you know, I watched them in fits and starts as a kid. But as a kid, I was drawn in by this but it wasn't something that i could just like i'm so jealous of kids now where like they can just like like batman the animated i've talked about in the show like Batman the animated series was like one of my obsessions as a kid and i yeah if you don't record it all how like literally how would you ever watch they release a few tapes you know you watch the same 10 episodes over and over and you have to rent half of them but but then that's it and if you didn't catch them when they aired yeah, my and my dad was really weird for some reason about letting me use the VHS player like to record stuff. I think he thought I was going to break it or something. So like, it Cla- was if classic I thought, dad move. Yeah, if I thought if he thought if I um, if anything delayed me getting home exactly at like three fifteen uh, on a school day, I missed my Batman the Animated uh, oh, Series yeah. episode for that day. Um, and now kids can just like if you wanted to, you could just like keep your 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 daughter up all night. 
and just watch all of Batman the Animated Series, like, um, and and you could watch all the Godzilla movies with with your with your girls as much as you wanted, and it would be fine. Whereas, like for me, like getting access to these things was not only cost prohibitive because I was a child, but it was like cost prohibitive because like I didn't have the access to know when to record these things or when they would be on and. It just, it just it didn't yeah. exist for it's the same reason why like I don't think I ever saw the beginning of a Ducktales episode because Ducktales started at three and I got off at school at three and even though I was only two blocks away you know that's still five minutes by the time I get home <laughs> and, and I, so yeah I don't think I've ever seen the beginning of a duck maybe maybe you know school wasn't in session and I caught one but we can talk about that so my uh, my I I fell in love with Godzilla I think we've talked about this before. So there's a book there's a book of movie monster books that were around in the 80s. I think they may have been made in the 70s or 80s, but um called the Crestwood Monster series. Which is orange books and they have a lot of factually inaccurate information as I would learn later. There's a lot of like myths which we'll actually talk about uh next week with King Kong versus Godzilla that really I think permeated people's brains because these these books got things factually inaccurate um especially when it came to like japanese cuts versus american cuts and some of that stuff um but there were these like you know 50 page big black and white pictures that went through the series so you know these books came out uh they incorporate the whole show a series and it describes what happens in each movie with these big pictures in it and that was before I'd seen really any of these. Those were in my first grade library in Bismarck, North Dakota. And every week, like, uh, yeah, in the kinder, in the, sorry, the priest or the elementary school library, where you got to take out one book a week. And all I would do was check out these books. And they had all these B movies and Frankenstein and Dracula. Just, just right now that, that Godzilla book, I, I, I checked again, um, that, um, uh, that Godzilla book, Peter, goes for $350. So <laughs> I, I will never, ever check it out again, uh, apparently. But, uh, you know, I it was it was great. And it, it, like, made me excited. But I didn't really have a way to necessarily um, to watch a lot of these movies. Also because, like, like when I would go, when we, on the, the, the times when we would go uh, rent a movie, they weren't in the kids section, right? So I'm, and I always have something in the kids section that you get to pick a movie or two movies. So like, I never really rented these. They were never really on, we didn't have cable. So like, there wasn't a channel that just played these. Um, the library that was like three blocks from my house when I was in elementary school, uh, had King Kong, which I would rent and, or rent or borrow, whatever, and watch all the time. But they didn't have any of the Godzilla movies. So I, the first one I saw, which we can talk more about next week, was King Kong vs. Godzilla. My, we were going – we rarely bought movies, much to my chagrin. Uh, but we were going on a, a long station wagon vacation and my dad was hooking up a TV in the back for us to watch movies on the way. And he went and bought a few movies. And like I still remember, he got like Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze and, and King Kong vs. Godzilla. And I, as a result, I have seen King Kong and Godzilla probably 300 to 500 times like the american cut of that because i was obsessed with it and then you know there was a few times throughout elementary school where i was at a friend's house who had cable and they were doing godzilla marathons and in between playing super nintendo we would we would watch some of the movies but you're right like we'd start in the middle and then we'd you know sometimes you didn't even know how to switch to a new movie <laughs> you know when you're watching some of these like showa era godzilla movies and it wasn't until uh 
I was like probably in ninth grade, eighth grade. I had money from some job when I was like 14 or 15, like either a paper route or I, I know I, you can actually work when you're uh, in North Dakota at 14 because they want to make kids be farmers, I guess, and skirt child labor laws. But I got, I got, so I was making money. I was, and I was spending money on uh, VHS tapes and I, they had these box sets at Target um, that had just five of the random Godzilla movies and another one had three. And I, you know, bought them and I watched them all. And it kind of started becoming like a thing for me. Like, uh, like I, I would scour video stores pre like order something on the internet, even scour video stores and video, all the different video rental stores in the town and Suncoast in the mall and try to, I was try to find every Godzilla movie so I could own and watch them all. And like, uh, I still remember the last one I, the last one I ever got my hands on was Godzilla versus uh, Hedorah, uh, because that one was like crazy out of print. And I found it at like a used premiere video, like three years after I started trying to do this. Um, but I would watch them with friends in junior high and high school. And my girlfriend, like my first like real girlfriend when I was a sophomore in high school, we, you know, sometimes if we went to a store or the mall, I would always go to the video section to try to find, you know, some of those missing Godzilla movies and she she actually asked me like uh which you know feels vaguely threatening now peter like this is not good behavior on her part it's a real i hope she's learned from this if i'm being honest she asked if uh, i did ch- if i chose between godzilla and her who would i pick so <laughs> i think i think it kind of tells you this where i was you're in where i was at but i mean that's the kind of like situation that does breed obsessions one of those things of like the post scarcity environment that you described for like my kids is that because it they you know if they like a show they can just watch it until they're bored with it and then they move on usually to something else one of the reasons like star trek became something that you could obsess over is that you could you could find ways to read about all the episodes and what happened it was very difficult to watch them all and so like it it became a mission in a lot of ways like star trek did this to me James Bond because they would own some were in print and some weren't and Godzilla where it was it wasn't just about I like the movie it was about these movies that I had no way to watch and I'd read them out of in books or on the internet and be like man I gotta see that one how am I gonna get that one and and literally just scouring the 20 or so back in the day like different ways that you could get videotapes and in Bismarck pawn shops and trying to find the ones that I would so that's kind of where my Godzilla fandom... I really think if I could have just bought them all, Peter, it, I wouldn't have ended up as obsessed for a while as I was. But it was always everything I was obsessed with. It was I was, I was like, I know this is not uncommon, but I was obsessed with dinosaurs. Jurassic Park was my favorite movie. Still the movie I saw most in theaters. I saw it like 11 times when it came out. You know, just like everything about Godzilla appealed to me. And, and the fact that I had to work so hard to see all of it was I think like just kind of drove that obsession uh, a little bit and um, or at least for 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 a few years and what's funny about that which kind of pivots to the you know what we're going to talk about here today is that it wasn't until 2014 that I ever saw what is very clearly the best Godzilla movie which is this one the 1954 original the, the original movie was not available in the United States in its actual version through any, like, legal means. I'm sure there was people importing it and stuff like that. But, like, on a Region 1 
video. It never came out on <laughs> – there's no Region 1 VHS, I don't think. But it never was released on VHS <laughs> or beta. It finally came out in 2004 – uh, on DVD, the original uncut, and that's how you could watch it. And I, you know, at that point, I kind of, my Godzilla obsession had somewhat passed. And it wasn't until the Criterion one, uh, the the Criterion Blu-ray release in 2014 that I that I picked up and watched it for the first time. And, you know, Godzilla King of the Monsters, I, I really always saw Godzilla as this fun, you know, monster battle, destruction, rampage type movie series that has a lot of pathos at times and has some amazing creature effects and sometimes really fun like uh aliens or mad scientists or convoluted plots or anything like that but like my take on the original was like oh yeah that's kind of cool that at least he was a destructive force as opposed to like the the best bud who does flips and kicks and stuff like that that he became in uh some of the later ones that i wasn't as big of a fan of but, you know, it's it's okay. Like, it's fine for what it was. But then it kicked off this fun monster battle trends. And then eventually in the 80s, they took it more seriously in the early 90s and did this, uh, you know, Hisei series that I really love. Then when I, fi- you know, when I finally watched 2014, I was like, holy shit, this is like a truly... Or sorry, when I saw when I finally saw it in 2014 when Criterion released it, not the 2014 version, I was like, holy shit, this really is like... Nothing like the original, and we'll and we'll talk about or the the King of the Monsters American cut, and we'll talk about it in a little bit too because I rewatched the King of the Monsters the American cut for the first time since high school, uh, and really like a lot of things clicked into place about there were some things around like uh, how Godzilla was you know very anti war and anti nuclear that are like barely touched on in the original, but it's stuff that you read about in everything about Godzilla and something that never really connected with me. Like, yeah, I guess, you know, he was made by nuclear explosion. So I can see why it would be an anti nuclear message. And then you watch the original and it's like angry and sad and like scary and depressing and, you know, uh, overpowering at times and stuff like that. And it's just like nothing that I had ever seen during my, my Godzilla uh, obsession. So, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to see it for the first time. Really? So, <clears throat> I only saw the Godzilla Gojira um, version uh, because I saw it, yeah, after 2014, probably around 2016. Um, actually, sorry. Yeah, probably like 2015, like probably right after it became widely available. That, I mean, that was part of the reason I watched it is because people were talking about like, you know, the restorations of yeah. it and how it looked so good and yada yada. Um, I loved it at the time. I love it now. I didn't even realize that the Blu-ray I bought had King of the Monsters on it. It's just a bonus feature. Oh, yeah. I knew, to yeah. Brazil has the Love Conquers All cut yeah. just tucked in it. <clears throat> I am not shaming you when I say this or trying to shame your childhood because it's very nice that King of the Monsters helped birth uh, this love that you've had. Um, I, with the context of only having seen the original cut, and uh, watching King of the Monsters, I got about twenty minutes in and I turned it off. I just I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't. I I I was not curious enough to take it to the end even. And I had a full night. I was just like, I I got twenty minutes in and I saw how they were just forcefully jamming this uh, Raymond Burr character in. Steve, um, how could you forget his name? Comically Steve, named Ma- Steve Martin. Martin. Yeah. Um, comically named Steve Martin, just jamming him in in there in a very colonialist way, like. 
how could you possibly identify with a Japanese couple who are trying to hold each other together and are trying to maintain their relationship in the midst of, in the face of an apocalypse, like the world ending scenario where everything is falling to shit. How could you possibly identify with a couple that are trying to hold (laughs) each other together as the world crumbles around them? You want to identify- In a country that's already been through like destruction that the world had never known. And like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful movie. And what I'm so- I am so glad. Especially after COVID, man. Like, I I see Emiko and Ogata and, and like, what was already kind of, like, a heartbreaking thing. Like, how much they're trying to, like, make their their relationship work despite, like, the fact that, like, her father doesn't really want this to happen. Like, she's already kind of engaged to what seems like a decent man. He's just very, like, war-ridden. Like, their entire love triangle is kind kind of sad. King of the Monsters is... I... What... Who, who what who's like i just need my protagonist to be a white bland guy like there's nothing there's nothing about him that you can attach to i know i want i want to get into that in in more in more detail because i'm 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 glad you watched 20 minutes of it you that was definitely all you need to needed to watch to at least understand probably a little bit of the, the conversation we'll have around it tonight it was also very i'm glad i rewatched the whole thing for myself because one of the experiences i had watching um Godzilla 1954, the you know the original. When I first got a chance to watch it, was especially in the opening, being like, "Man, I don't remember a lot of this movie." <laughs> like you know, even if though it's a movie I haven't seen in twenty years, I watched it enough, and there was a, there was a feeling of like, "Man, a lot of this just is not familiar at all." Is this is this like a whole whole different movie? And then, like, you know, pretty soon I'm I'm realizing, like, how different – I like, I had no clue how different the King of the Monsters cut was from this. Everything I'd ever read about it really alluded to it being, like, basically the same movie where they, you know, stuck Raymond Burr into a few scenes and stuff like that. And um, and so that – like, I, I knew that that was the case, but I thought it was basically intact – with with just like occasionally Steve Steve Martin is there and is like hey what's going on here and never not funny I'm glad <laughs> uh, we we're, Godzilla we're two wild, wild and crazy, crazy guys guy. yeah <laughs> um, but um, I'm glad I rewatched it because it was helpful to realize how little of the movie I got and I you know even when I being that far removed when I watched the original and it's like full uncut version it was like oh yeah this is way better than I remember this is fantastic like there's definitely scenes I don't remember and then watching it watching finally rewatching King of the Monsters for the first time after all these years it was like right right after I watched you know the the original then it really was like oh my god I I saw 10% of it. Like I was you every book that said it was somewhat modified to include uh scenes of Raymond Burr Steve Martin character was just wildly inaccurate. It is a full recut and it it takes even the stuff that you see that's from the movie and turns it into um, a random white guy telling the story view view his eyes. So I'm glad you got a chance to see a little bit of it because there's some stuff that like really uh, is is worth calling out at like how different it is. 
And yeah, I mean, Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, I, is at the bottom of my Godzilla list and probably would have been close to the bottom in my you know, list I made before I saw the original where th- this one is like we're going to actually be talking about I ended up ranking all the Godzilla movies on Letterboxd because uh, that's one of the fun things to do with Letterboxd. We're going to be covering almost all of them in my top 10 besides one that is um, – uh, very much not available, um, which is Godzilla versus Biolanti. But this one is my, this one's the best. Like there's, there's no 30 some movies and there's a lot that are very, very good. And I, I love quite a lot, but this one is by far just different than every other one. It has some close to a couple. I'd say it cl- has some tonal, like sadness to it. Like Godzilla versus Destroyer, Shin Godzilla, or some of the other things that, that exist there. It's not like the Godzilla series uh, stopped being able to elicit like emotions and fear and a metaphor for destruction in in addition to the the monster stuff. But really, all the things that really come later in the Showa series, the goofiness and the destruction as as um, spectacle and special effects, uh, is not present in this movie. The destruction is never fun. It is just it's it's not even scary. It's it's depressing. So let's I want to talk a little bit about more about the King of the Monsters cut before we get before uh, the the music break. Let's talk a little bit about how this movie got made, Peter, because I think that's a very interesting story in, in of itself. So the this movie, the funding to make a movie, which I think is very critical. It's not just this movie, a movie. They were going to make an adaptation of a book called In the Shadow of Glory. Uh, Toho Studios was with producer uh, Tomoyuki uh, Tanaka, and uh, they it was going to be a co-production with Indonesia. I'm not quite sure. I didn't get a chance to look up all of the history on why this was the case, but there was a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment in Indonesia at the time, and to the point that the government wouldn't allow visas for the Japanese filmmakers and the studio execs to come and in, come into Indonesia to meet. Um, with it. So uh, the producer, uh, uh, Tanaka, tr- uh, tried to get a visit there to meet with the, with the Indonesian government to make this like adaptation of this, this uh, story that meant a lot to him, and they could not get it worked out. So he's on the flight home, and he has just recently watched the 1953 rare, uh, 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 Harryhausen, Ray Harryhausen uh, special effects film, uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fat. He's on the flight home and he's like, we should do something like that. We should make some sort of monster movie, basically our own take on that movie. I'm going to pause there for a second because I watched The Beast of 20,000 Fathoms for the first time in preparation for this, knowing that it inspired it. I'd owned it for a long time. You know, I like those old 50s monster movies enough. Um, And I'm going to come back to to that because I do think what's interesting is that if you've seen The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, and this is true of a lot of American monster movies of the 50s, the the plot is actually – there's some strikingly similarities between uh, Godzilla and 20,000 Fathoms. Like the boat scene and uh, the the overall plot structure and some other stuff really, really is similar to to Godzilla. The difference is is that – a lot of – not all. There's some really good 50s sci-fi monster movies that have subtext. But a lot of those movies are just text. What if a monster attacked and a buff hero and a damsel in distress had to fight it or support the military in fighting it? And The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms has 
absolutely no subtext. There is no message. There is nothing deeper under the surface, Peter. It's about a guy who sees a monster. People don't believe him for a little bit. Eventually, that monster comes to, to the United States, starts attacking the thing. Then people start believing him. Somehow, he still remains a central figure as they defeat the monster. There's there's not, you know, there's not the subtext of even like a them about um, nuclear testing. It's just a dinosaur. <laughs> That they that got unfrozen and starts attacking people. The message is, of course, proper practice refrigeration. Yeah, don't. Yeah, it's, in retrospect, it's a great global warming thing. Like, you know, if you're gonna free, unfreeze the Arctic, you're gonna get some dinosaurs. <laughs> you're gonna get some beasts from twenty thousand fathoms. But there's like no, there's there's no subtext. There's no message. Nothing. Uh, which is, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of those. I don't know, Peter, um, how much of those like tarantula, like fifties monster movies. I think that's the reason like most of them can be fun, but they always almost always uh, they almost always end up as like a three star movie. Like, oh, that was cool. Fun to see what they did with uh, a a giant tarantula in 1950s. But that's the extent of it. There is nothing else going on. Even a lot of horror and sci from from the 50s. Like I said, I said them is a good example of one that has some good subtext. The day the the earth stood still like King Kong has a lot of good subtext. Like there's these monster movies that rise above that like. Oh, I don't know. What if a big thing <laughs> stomps on these little things? Uh, but there's also a lot that just are, what if something was bigger and it broke some stuff? And so it's hard to invest in anything, either a message or the characters or anything else. I will say, like, this movie, though there's there's quite a bit you can invest in it, this movie is remarkably simple because it was pitched at a very broad audience. Um, they Japan had not made spectacle movies like this before. Before this, like there, yeah. there were a few examples, but largely like that was not what the Japanese film industry did. No, it's not cashing in. This is not cashing in on, um, you know, like, oh, well, we, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a really big, uh, there was a really big monster movie. Like, you know, this movie kind of created the genre uh, in, a, in a weird way. Like, I kind of expected when we were, I was looking into this to be like, oh, this was just the good one in a string of ones. Like, uh, instead, it was more like this was the one that created the goofy ones that ended up being MST3K episodes like yeah. Camera, and it created uh, the fun ripoffs. Um, I, I just it's it's it wasn't the perspective I was expecting to have, it, and the 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 power of this one is because it hits you on a visceral level very directly. Yes, but the point is that like it's not a sort of vague. Um, conservative message about, you know, we have to be careful what science does because those scientists, sometimes they get ahead of themselves. It's not that movie. It's actually about a very specific way in which science has fucked up, yep. both ecologically and ethically. Yep. And it's about how can we walk back from that? And then the third act is entirely about an ethical issue that someone who has the solution to, to killing Godzilla is having because they know that they, he knows, Dr. Sarazawa knows firsthand what the ethics are of developing a weapon, even if the goal is to um, produce what he considers a good effect. Yeah, well, and is more destruction the answer to stop destruction? I mean, because that, that yes. I mean, that was the argument that, uh, you know, it's an argument full of lies and we don't need to get into the history of the, of the bombings of uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but like. That, that was the United States argument, right? Like, we have to, the only way to stop the destruction is to cause more destruction. And, and this is, you know, this takes that kind of Beast of 20,000 Fathoms movie 
that is really simplistic and it, it adds a lot of the sadness and anger of what that level of destruction d- uh, d- ha- can do from a country and the only country on planet Earth at that time that had really suffered because of man's actions, that level of immediate destruction. So, right, like you can imagine, you know, if you're a Japanese producer or just a Japanese person in the 1950s, like I imagine that your relationship with a movie like Beast of 20,000 Fathoms about a, a fun B monster movie about a giant thing that crushes buildings and stomps on people and leaves a path of ruin in its wake is different than, uh, than someone who has never seen that or, you know, literally as a country has had to live through that. It's kind of like how, I mean, you remember Peter, there was like, um, the, the kind of like, uh, Roland Emmerich destroying buildings thing took a kind of a long hiatus, like post nine 11, like people who had just witnessed the destruction of these giant buildings, no longer wanted to see an independence day type. What if the white house blows up? Right. And, and so like that, that level of destruction that it was supposed to be fun and adventurous and terrifying in the way fifties monster movies does didn't resonate that way with Tanaka. And so he he loved the movie, but wanted to ingest like what that destruction means. And so, you know, uh, originally Honda, Ishiro Hondo, who directed uh, this movie and many other Godzilla and other Toho monster movies, as well as other not monster related movies, but that's what he's known best for. He, yeah, he also made a lot of like teen coming of age dramas. Yeah. Um, he wasn't supposed to originally direct. He was working on the production, but their original director choice dropped out. Uh, and he he stepped in, and, and he also had a lot of experience with like with that that idea of like destruction not being fun, like having a toll. And again, I think you know Japan was very uniquely situated for a bunch of terrible reasons to deliver a movie that really grapples with the concept of destruction at a inconceivable level from a force that is unstoppable. Uh, and so that, I mean, that is the movie they made. We're going to talk about that in, on the other side of the music break. What I think is somewhat interesting, uh, I'm going to skip ahead to the, probably the version that if you were born, you know, pre a certain age, probably if you ever watched the original, you watched the King of the Monsters version. Like I did, like so many people did, um, at least before 2004, when it was even available, let alone when it was released on Criterion. Um, you know, I think you called it almost disrespectful. Like, I think that's right. So the first thing that it really does, and I'm not going to go beat by beat through the movie, but there's a scene two thirds through the movie where Godzilla has finally destroyed parts of Tokyo and there's sad music and it's gloomily going over and long surveying the destruction of just buildings destroyed and fire everywhere as far as the eye can see. And it's, you know, it's a powerful image. In and of itself, it's po- it's especially powerful image. Like knowing that this was not a uh, this was not a fantastical idea of what could, destruction could look like. That this is this is destruction. That this is the exact destruction that many people in Japan uh, were saw firsthand. They used that shot as the opening to the movie and the King of the Monsters movie, where uh, 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 Raymond Burr playing Steve Martin is recounting the story after it's happened in past tense. 
And he's like, he uses that as the, what a crazy trip to Tokyo I had recently. Let me tell you. Uh, what started as a normal trip turned into this. And it has like, instead of like the, two, you know, 60 seconds of just, or two minutes of dwelling in that footage, it opens with this guy like, look at this. It's like, uh, how did I get here? What's the, what's the, uh, the, the, the meme? <laughs> yep. That's me in the <laughs> yeah, rubble of trash. Tokyo. <laughs> You'll never guess how I got here. And it continues like that throughout the movie. Peter, I hope you got to the part like so much of the opening movie really starts on the um, the of Odo Island and you meet the people there and our protagonists and everything else. And this movie treats Odo Island as a couple of people that went out to the canoe to see what happens and Raymond Burr comes and interviews them. And like it, the whole movie is like that. It just talks over everything that's happening and why I think it's interesting is that it, it strips away a lot of the, the film's message about destruction and power. And again, just be like, yeah, let's kill the monster. The monster's bad. How do we kill the monster? That type of thing. It, it retains a tiny bit of it, a modicum of it. But you can see why I didn't think this was the like anti-nuclear power screed that it ended up being in Japan. Like, Peter, I don't know if you read, did enough research to see that um, – this movie kicked off the like anti-nuclear movement in Japan. Like it was such a popular movie and people it was so clearly about what had happened that millions of people were signing signatures to ban Japan from doing any sort of nuclear testing and and making bombs and all the other uh, other things that were happening. And it's stripped away in the in the American version to just be like, "Oh, he's radioactive. Radioactive is bad." <laughs> Yeah, like, I think, but like that, 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 um, <clears throat> I feel like the, the dual, uh, events of the Lucky Dragon number five fishing boat, yeah. uh, situation paired with this movie is really what kicked that into gear because you have both a real life incident where yeah. real life newspapers, to take a little step back, um, a fishing boat, uh, that was exactly, despite some American propaganda at the time, was exactly where it was allowed to be. Um, it was outside the, the danger zone, um, uh, was covered in uh, this death ash that was like coral and uh, like radioactive material. Um, covered in death ash in this fishing boat called Lucky Dragon Number no. Five, um, and uh, of the twenty six crew members, almost all of them got sick. One of them died a few months later, um, but all of them showed well, not all of them, but most of them showed signature signs of radiation poisoning. Um, radiation effects on their skin, um, these like almost like uh, melanoma-like lesions on their skin from from radiation poisoning. And uh, at the same time that that Indonesian movie was falling apart, this Lucky Dragon story was was happening. And so uh, Shiro Hondo and the producer kind of, Shiro Honda and the producer kind of got together and they were like, we can throw this funding into a movie really quickly. Yeah. And boom, Godzilla was born. So it's kind of like the movie attacked this issue from a pop culture perspective to like reach people's hearts uh, in, 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 in their, and uh, the um, news stories of the test site, um, uh, the Lucky Dragon number five uh, radiation poisoning from the test site at Bikini Atoll had an impact on, on people's like rationale and their, their, their voting, um, their, their uh, voting record, yep. their voting inclinations. So it's kind of interesting because they, they tested a massive bomb at, at, at Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands. Oh, yeah. It was uh, an H-bomb 
15 megatons, um, three times more powerful than it was expected to be. So they weren't even sure how big it was going to be because it was, it was an H-bomb test, yeah. right? Um, the U.S. paid up some amount of money. But similar to another impact on this was similar to what happened with Fukushima. The average Japanese fishermen, uh, average Japanese, uh, you know, people that worked in like export markets... Their markets were hit hard because people didn't want to import things yeah. from Japan because they assumed that it was all radioactive. Yeah. And with, and the truth is that a lot of the fish market was radioactive. The, f- the fishermen had to, like, hold Geiger counters to fish, and some, some fishermen that were very desperate ended up just selling fish that were radioactive. Um, what's interesting, though, like, while the, 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 the message here that's to your yeah, – codified by both his experience their experience watching uh 20,000 uh or sorry the beast from 20,000 fathoms not 20,000 leagues under the scene although that good movie too a lot of influence you could get from that one uh and the real life incident um when the american uh the american filmmakers or the people that got got the rights in america recut everything together and took all the stuff out what's interesting as i rewatched it is that they effectively turned Godzilla 1954, which was a loose remake, say very loose, but a, uh, inspired by remake of The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, a movie with almost no message. And they made one that had heart and a message, sadness and something to say and anger and like a, 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 a dramatic toll that occurs. And they essentially stripped it away of all that and then made... Godzilla resemble the beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Like, that's what was so interesting watching all of these, you know, three movies back to back, is that, like, it's very clear that they just took Godzilla and were like, hey, let's turn this into the beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Because Beast from 20,000 Fathoms has that narration and the, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, it has a lot of that, too, and I, I think that's like I mean it's it's terrible because uh you know people in the United States were uh were were denied a fucking amazing movie for you know fifty years but also interesting that like they just basically put it through the lens of its own inspiration and spit out all the things that made Godzilla such a monumental step up from what it had been uh, inspired by. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 just it's kind of like movie colonialism. It's pretty it's pretty gross. Um, I didn't make it very. I I doubt I will ever watch that kind of. No, movie. you don't. You, you um, shouldn't. Yeah. Um. I. It is kind of cool in its own way that um the sequel to the 2014 Godzilla movie um kind of just takes that good title King of the Monsters and just turns it into something like its own full-fledged movie yeah i think that's kind of a neat appropriation of that yeah i mean part of the reason um, i hope we do get to it we're not committing to that yet is mainly because that movie is weirdly hated and that movie is a ton of fun yeah i feel like it's it's in keeping with our show to, yeah. to give that movie a, a solid a solid college try yeah i i had i had it as an onimenchi on one of our best of and it, i think i noted like uh Sometimes I really don't understand what people like. I feel like I've seen a different movie than other people, and this is it. So I'd be interested. With uh, part of the reason I want you to, you know, take that leap is because what is what is Peter, a person who, as far as I know, just recently heard of the concept of a Godzilla. <laughs> what does he think of of Godzilla, King of the Monsters? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> um. Na 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 na. What song are you doing? 
Uh-huh. Yeah. It's from the Godzilla 1998 soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a Puff Daddy Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's Led Zeppelin. Yeah. yeah. Great soundtrack. We should, if we did a bonus episode, we're not going to. Um, we should do the <laughs> no. soundtrack to 1998 Godzilla. Because that soundtrack was huge, and it was wild. Uh, yeah, Peter, are you ready to leave the uh 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 devilzilla behind and go to our savior our lord godzilla <laughs> yeah yeah do you want to think of a better one i i lost it immediately never had uh i can i can scott pilgrim you do you know what gojira means uh yeah it's a combination of uh the japanese word for gorilla and the japanese word for whale isn't that what they combine the sound for for the roar probably Probably. We should have looked that up. We got we had eight more episodes after this to look that up. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's I talk about thing and be annoying. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Godzilla without one third of the three amigos, Godzilla in nineteen Tell us, walk through easily. Don't crush any buildings. What happens? I am very clumsy. In in the actual Godzilla. The actual movie Godzilla? Yeah, yeah, the actual one. If you say any fucking thing about Stephen Burr. Wait, Stephen Burr? All right. Hold on. Raymond Burr, Steve Martin. He's a real New Yorker. He's 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 going around. He's getting bagels, real New York bagels. They can't make bagels elsewhere. Uh, yeah, no. Godzilla though was the 1998 version was honestly the first time I can remember. I knew that bad movies existed, like, and I I didn't watch enough movies at that age because my my parents were not the type of parents that let me just watch movies and TV all day. So I had to like select things that I already liked or rent movies that I thought I would like. You know, I, you know. There's obviously movies that weren't for me, and I didn't like, and I ended up watching with friends or with my parents or something like that. Go- Godzilla, I think, was the first movie that I ever saw that made me realize that something that I liked could be bad. <laughs> that something you liked could hurt you. Well, that just could be bad. Like it, it never occurred to me that they could make a bad Godzilla movie, right? Like it just, yeah. it, it didn't, it didn't, like, yeah, and that more money could equal worse. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, sure, I didn't like that movie. Like, I'm not interested in what that movie was about. But how could I not like a Godzilla movie? Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to remember the first time I saw a movie and I was like, oh, you threw a bunch of money at this thing. And if you had thrown less money at it, it would have been fine. (laughs) Trying to remember the first time that I thought that. Yeah. I remember one of the first times I I was in a theater thinking, like, why didn't this movie cost half as much um, was I Am Legend. Because I Am Legend is my favorite book, yeah. as you know very well, because Aaron, you bought me a gorgeous, one of the, um, like, the prestige editions. Oh, yeah. It's so pretty, yeah. with these illustrations in it. It's so gorgeous. 
Um, definitely the coolest thing. Uh, definitely the coolest book that I own for sure. Um, but I saw it in theaters with my dad, and I, I like that movie fine. We were so can, actually. Can I jump yeah, back really quick before back. I get into the recap? So jump you back were mentioning to it is related. Oops. You you mentioned that there was there was a period of time where it was very tough for filmmakers weren't sure when the right time to strike and really start like weaponizing 9-11 as imagery was yeah. one of the first movies to do that was uh steven spielberg's war of the worlds in, in 2005 oh yeah where not only are buildings falling down around tom cruise he's literally covered in white dust at the beginning the dust of people yeah um it's 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 a movie that's right. trying to weaponize 9/11. I just saw it for the But first it's weaponizing time. It's really it to be me. to take the imagery and be terrifying. I feel yes. like it wasn't until maybe the day after. I mean, I guess that's even earlier. The day after tomorrow was 2004. But you have less building destruction in that movie. Well, no, you have the title. I'm sorry, I'm it's been a long time since I've seen Day After Tomorrow. But I think like it was 2004 that they're like Roland Emmerich was like, I can destroy some buildings. I know that by the time The Dark Knight came out, it was still novel because Dark Knight has a bunch of 9-11 imagery um, because Joker blows up some buildings and it was still novel then and people still gave that movie quite a bit of credit for um, taking the war on terror and 9-11 and sort of um, turning, having America process its um, trauma through film. And that's what Godzilla is, the 1954 film, uh, not the 1998 film. Um, It, it, it's processing trauma on film. The NCAA film was processing nothing and didn't even beat Saving Private Ryan at the box office because that was the number one movie of the year. Because yeah. um, uh, um, Steven Spielberg makes better movies than Roland Emmerich. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, and Roland, but, Roland Emmerich's other couple movies in the 90s are fun. Like, it, it on paper, that's... Sh- that, like, I, I still like Independence Day. That's a fun movie. Like, on paper... I actually think we're, we're hitting a good vein here yeah. because Independence Day is similar in compare in comparison to War of the Worlds it's very interesting because Independence Day is very much a movie about buildings and infrastructure blowing up not people and War of the Worlds is a movie about people dying individuals dying cr- small crowds of people or large crowds of individuals that you get to have some sense of of human pardon me humanizing with dying and that makes it so much more effective in the War on the World War of the Worlds movie um, to have an alien invasion where you're actually getting to know people or you're getting a sense of people's faces or like what their what their lives are like. Whereas Independence Day, there's very very little of that. Yeah, it's it's more like I had to leave as a refugee from my city, and they just kind of mess up a few actors. Yeah, a lot, a lot of and, and put some dirt on their face. Yeah, it's kind of like the Robert Altman shortcuts of. Um, alien invasion movies because you got a lot of different people you're catching up with all the time i, I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen Jokers, but um but yeah I, I i uh but but independence day is very much like a <clears throat> it's about the the um the spectacle of destruction which i think some of the later godzilla movies would, would maybe venture into um what we'll see oh yeah for sure i mean but this one i think is a good corollary with war of the worlds because it's about a culture processing its trauma yeah, no, that's a great call out because it, it it is that, and it feels that way. This there's there's nothing in here. The the movie is never shot to show what they can do with special effects. It's never shot to everything's at night um, to amazing mm-hmm. effect. Um, it's later on, even you know the next movie and the uh, even when when Ishiro Hondo returns uh, two movies later in King Kong versus Godzilla. 
Now, in fairness, I have never seen the Japanese cut of that movie that finally came to the United States um, with the Criterion release. And I'm excited. I'm, we're going to watch the American cut and kind of cover the American cut. I'm going to watch the Japanese cut uh, as well. I think our guest is planning on it, too. But there's a scene in that movie where there's a, a large building, and I'm sure we'll talk about what building it is. Like, but it, And the two, Godzilla and King Kong, like, fight where they're on opposite sides of it and they keep like, you know, striking at each other and punching and moving arms and trying to get at each other through this building and they keep knocking off parts of it. And it's, you know, very impressive special effect for, for the sixties. And obviously, you know, it really was some giant constructed elaborate Japanese building that, you know, pieces need to come off in a right way as these two, men in suits fight over this building. So, it's, you know, it's impressive. It was always one of my favorite, like, scenes of that movie. But you very quickly go into the destruction porn aspects of of, of two monsters fighting in a cityscape or around human, um, human buildings or human creations, where this one is like, it never really shows clearly the destruction happening. It shows clearly the aftermath. And it never, it never tries to, to like, it never tries to have fun with it or even make you like go, oh my god! Like it never even tries to make you gasp. It's not trying to make you gasp. It's trying to make you feel a deep sadness in the pit of your stomach that this is happening. I mean, there's a, like this is not in the American version at any point. Like to to skip ahead, there's a scene where a child like three years old post-destruction screams mommy over and over for like a minute. It's like a very long time. Like it is. And while everyone tries to calm her down because her mom has died in this thing, like this is not, this is not the Godzilla that you remember. It's really focused on the toll of destruction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a harrowing movie. Uh, It's very disturbing. And uh, let's get, let's get into the, the plot. So, um, we open on a salvage boat um, being um, sunk in the Pacific. The water is rumbling. And uh, they're doing some sort of salvage operation. And the boat starts to sink. And we see the water filling the cabin of the ship. And then we hear news. We're kind of back on mainland, or I guess Japan's mainland. Um, <laughs> uh, not back in like China. Um, we're back in we're in Japan's mainland, I guess. Um, and there's a a group of dispatch officers who are handling the sort of salvage operations of all these boats, who are trying to figure out what happened, and they send another boat. That boat gets sunk, and then they send a fish, and then a fishing boat is in the area, and they see survivors, and the fishing boat picks up the survivors, and then they get sunk. And it's sort of this series of just, like, escalations. Oh, they're going to send, we're going to send military boats out there. Why don't you send more military boats? Our family are, is on the line. There's people that are upset at the beginning of this movie about what, why is the government, <clears throat> why are these private corporations not doing enough to save our people? Why are you not bringing my family home? They work for your, co- the only reason they're out there is because they're working for your company. Like, go, go get them. <clears throat> and, um. They're landing near a, uh, eventually three survivors come ashore on an island called Odo Island. Yep. uh, Odo. Odo. And it's sort of a small, like, fishing community island. Yeah. Um, It's not not particularly, like, uh, developed. Um, And they have a lot of folk traditions. And they tell the tale of a ancient sea god 
that uh, used to come ashore and eat them, but the way to uh, calm the sea god, this Godzilla, um, was by sending off a virgin on a raft into the ocean and the sea god would stay away. Yeah. They don't try it in this movie. But which is, they, do they try it in King in King Kong versus Godzilla? Uh, well, they do it for King Kong. Yeah, I know because King Kong loves loves to eat a virgin. Loves. Too, but... Well, I don't think King Kong specifies virgin. I think King Kong you probably... specifies woman and prefers. Probably... Yeah, anything with meat. You could probably put a dress. Yeah, on yeah, King you. Kong, yeah, but... I, I, I think it. My guess is that it's the uh, internalized misogyny of the the culture yeah. that is I, deciding that that King Kong likes women. <laughs> the only thing you're feeding us is his virgins. Like I'm really having uh, trouble parsing a- this because it's like, well, I don't know if I want to insult the island culture, <laughs> but it is possible it's some sort of institutional misogyny that's causing them. But it's also it's not my culture, Pete. It's not my place. Yeah. I uh yeah cultural relativism um maybe is to to be uh, ignored here um we can we can judge a fake fake culture oh good in, well in that case yeah I think um, there definitely was misogyny um yeah I, I imagine Godzilla doesn't carry that misogyny he is equal opportunity for eating uh women who have had sex once or no times. oh yeah for sure he yeah he'll he just eats them except for yeah. uh, occasionally he's like finds a friend I always find that trope the like virgin sacrifice thing so tiresome um it is particular particularly as it is like something that's like not found in all cultures in the world like it's something that was like very a very like human sacrifice is actually a very limited practice yeah. and it was like used as a colonial way to like bludgeon oh yeah so like, i mean cultures. so much like, of yeah it was they like, take their virgin daughters and they sacrifice them and they throw them in volcanoes to this day there's still like a large contingent of like conquistador defenders that like yeah they like say like well they the they were they yes they did slaughter thousands and thousands of people but it's because they were so barbaric and warlike and were sacrificing human sacrifices all the time and it was the only way the only way to stop them from their murderous ways was to murder all of them um and then offer them jesus yeah. i mean that that's, um, st- that's still like a talking point today of like cortez being a savior and that kind of bullshit so, yeah yeah not great despite all of that despite all of that that we just there's said, no virgins i do love the line in what we do in the shadows where <clears throat> he says um why do vampires prefer virgins i don't know if somebody made you a sandwich wouldn't you want to know that no one put their dick in it <laughs> yeah it's a great line so not that i agree with the sentiment no that's a funny but joke. i mean they're they're very regressive vampires like they're literally three to yeah, seven hundred years old they're like they're like boomers on steroids if you know what i mean <laughs> um the, the other thing they're, that this, they're, they're big bangers this that's all this are. also introduces uh, a trope that runs through all of these movies separate series even the american 1998 one where it makes no fucking sense at all which is like before godzilla emerges someone is aware that there's a like godzilla is always somewhat of a possibility and then when they see godzilla someone always goes you know godzilla like says the name which is how the name gets introduced to that no one's like you know big dinosaur it's always like uh oh no and that that happens throughout all these like it again it makes no sense in some of them like Godzilla in 1998 i know is 
particularly hilarious of like a guy you've never met and then the monster emerges and he just says Godzilla and then he dies. It's like, where that guy have a backstory? Why did he know? <laughs> He's dead on the dock now. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but so but that but yeah, that starts here with like a little bit of a warning that um that the the the, the a sea creature that comes to the island and destroys thing has a name. Yeah, there's um some sort of cultural memory um, to what this thing is, indicating that it's ancient in some capacity. This is not something that, like, when I first uh, heard about the Godzilla movies, I assumed that, like, a fish got zapped with radioactivity and became Godzilla. I'm assuming that's the plot of later Godzilla movies. Um, no, it's, but, it's, uh, it's always a dinosaur. I mean, other things get zapped and turn into, yeah, I mean, giant lobsters and other things, but... Yeah, it's yeah, always I mean, a, a that's dinosaur. The, plot of like the, the killer ant movies and stuff. Yeah, right? di- like the the oh, yeah. massive bug movies in the nineteen yeah. American nineteen fifties. Yeah. yeah, what um, toxic waste was to the eighties, nuclear radiation was to the. I was gonna say. Oh, so uh, Odo Island ends up being sort of the focus of uh, a, um, a a national. Um, concern over why are all these fishing boats disappearing and it's supposed to sort of mirror the disappearance of the excuse me the um the the plight of the lucky dragon number five disaster where it starts off very small and then it just escalates and escalates because the story is so horrifying and there's a doctor named oh yeah yamane yamane is a doctor um who's actually like while we're here he's played by this guy named takeshi shimura like he's very recognizable because he has a really good sad guy face um he's the he's the least sad guy in ikiru yeah um he's in rashomon seven samurai yojimbo sanjuro kwaidan throne of blood like he was sort of a <clears throat> he was a kurosawa re- regular um and while we're here really quickly um, not only was uh, the Godzilla actor uh, Haru- Haruo uh, Nakajima also in Kurosawa movies, um, Ishiro Honda uh, worked with Kurosawa for yep. years. Yep. Um, they both were backing up a, a, a bigger filmmaker um, and uh, named uh, Yamato. Um, and, uh, you know... Y- Kurosawa was right above Honda at the time, and then they sort of went off on their own career ways, their career pathways. And then later on in his career, Kurosawa would have Ishiro Honda as sort of um, an assi- not quite an assistant director. It's a it's a different it's a different title, but uh, essentially it's like a it's like a co director for uh, Dreams and I, mean, I forget if it's Ron or, or, or Kagoshima, but he's some of uh, Kurosawa's late movies. Uh, Ishiro Honda came on because he was such a meticulous set designer. He was known as the God of <clears throat> God of Wood <laughs> because he was so fixated on the small details like the wood grain in these these set design uh particularly the miniatures he would draw on the wood gr- fake wood grain with a pencil to make it look more authentic um but yeah so odo island um uh yamane comes in uh he's investigating the scenario the island then is attacked by um wouldn't you know it godzilla um <laughs> And uh, they manage to snap a shot of Godzilla, which gets back to the mainland uh, eventually, as uh, to help to help highlight all this all this stuff. But Godzilla decimates Odo Island. Yeah, um, and they have just an amazing first shot, like clear shot, because there's the boat that does get destroyed at some point. Um, is that after the island? I think it's before, right? That's where they start feeling like there's something going on because the, all the dead sailors washed ashore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the attack happens at night. Yep. 
you don't see anything. You then, see bubbling and destruction, but you don't you don't see like a clear shot of Godzilla. No, you you don't until you see in the clear light of day him standing at the sort of cresting a hill, yeah. and you get a shot of his head. Um, amazing it's, shot, it's sort of a compositing green screen yeah. shot. It's an amazing way to welcome you to what would be one of the most iconic characters in cinema. Like, that's not a joke. Yeah. Like, I would say Godzilla rivals, like, James Bond is one of the most iconic oh, yeah. cin- I mean, cinema he, characters in world cinema. I think, I mean, I know this isn't necessarily true, but I mean, according to Guinness Book of World Records, like, it, it's the longest running um, uh, movie series. I'm not sure what the criteria is. Most entries are, like, longest. But, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a ton of these. I mean, this came out before Dr. No. Yeah. So it's just on that simple chronology, and they still were making Godzilla movies. I mean, if anything, Dr. No, you know, scientist with an eye patch. <laughs> They're ripping this guy Does off. Does Dr. No have an eye patch? I remember him as any eye patch, but now that I'm thinking, I don't think so. Uh, I haven't maybe seen not. it in a long time. That's not one of the ones I return to. I do I do with From Russia with Love. I like, I, you don't like Dr. There. No? No, I like it. It's just not one I really go back to. I don't really like. I'm I'm a I'm kind of a um, a weirdo, and then I don't like uh, Goldfinger that much. Yeah, I don't think Goldfinger's like that great. It's not as bad as Thunderbolt. I think I actually think the only two Sean Connery movies that I like really like three. I'll go three. I'll go Never Say Never. I actually really like Never Say Never again. It's really good. That one is 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 very sweaty, but it's not. But bad. it's really it's pretty good. Um, uh, Doctor No, and then From Russia with Love. I, I think there's like no argument to be made that. That from Russia with Love is not like one, one of the, the best. best oh, yeah. and obviously the best thing that Sean Connery made uh, during that year. Yeah. <clears throat> Moving along, um, Odo Island is destroyed. The action sort of shifts back to Tokyo because Tokyo is obviously going to be the target in this movie because they have the picture um, that they're reviewing. Yes, so that picture makes it back to the mainland and starts kicking off sort of a national uh, fervor to. Um, Kill, kill Godzilla, stop Godzilla from causing chaos. Um, and so scientists get together. Yamane is is very melancholy and sad. This movie is very melancholy and sad. There's not a lot of people who are gung-ho about killing Godzilla. Yamane is like, we don't understand this creature, but we do understand a basic part of, of, of the, this creature's um, uh, lineage. And that's that this creature was not created by radioactivity. Um, this creature uh, lived in a uh, deep pockets of the sea and has existed yeah. as a species in deep pockets of the sea alongside some other sort of Jurassic era creatures like trilobites. Yeah, let's pause there because they mentioned the, the Jurassic scene. period. I That whole scene where they're showing and kind of theorizing and of course it has the scientists and people are like, well, this can't be right. This is a fake photo. It's a trick. You know, like the kind of like, no, this is this is real and obviously the you know there's people on the island who saw it and, and know what's going on but yeah so godzilla uh was yeah from a, a deep pockets of the ocean he he lived with his fellow godzillas and Godzilla. i mean a lot of them are gonna come um, out later <laughs> let's just be yeah a lot of a lot of that pocket was a deep pocket it's the kind you yeah. find not just 20 dollar bill but sometimes a fire monster <laughs> so this is crucially important to the movie is that nuclear testing at Bikini Atoll by the Americans awoke Godzilla um, from his slumber, and they even propose at one point or hint that there may be other creatures that could come because this destroyed their natural environments. They apparently had food sources and some sort of environment down there that, that, you know, they could feed off of. So Godzilla is coming out of this confused and, and, you know, angry, right? Like, 
uh, he's being forced up to the surface. He doesn't like light very much. Um, yeah. And he did not have uh, his, his, you know, his, his food um, because it's all been killed by radio radioactive. Well, and one of the things that I think really hits really hard in that council meeting is, is they're, <coughs> they're showing the pictures of the dinosaur that they believe became Godzilla. Like we have evidence of this. You know, this was the type of dinosaur that that clearly is close enough from what we know that could have morphed into this, turned into this with do the radioactive tests. And, uh, you know, and there's 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 not that much terror at the concept of a dinosaur being loose. But one thing that, you know, they measured on Odo Island was and they realized that the footprints themselves left off a high degree of radioactivity. And so, like. The true terror that happens in that council meeting is not a dinosaur could be loose. What are we going to do? But that that dinosaur was birthed and bringing radiation to Tokyo. And one of one of the central themes why Godzilla is unkillable from their weapons and they can't try really is because, as they note, like Godzilla was birthed by the most destructive force on the planet. If that couldn't kill him and instead turned him into what he is what hope do our tanks and our other stuff have in destroying them and they're you know effectively right like this so many other godzilla movies or kaiju movies have these scenes of like them lining up you know 500 tanks and shooting them ineffectively and you know they're really fun scenes especially when you know how they make them with the pseudomation they you know they they're building these like if you've have you ever seen any of the like um set photos or anything from like how what these things look like as they're making them peter oh yeah it's, a, it's incredible. incredible it's like a little bit your it's a little bit like your weird uncle's train table yeah and then a lot of it um and then a lot of it just like tr- true movie magic like something that in the movie looks so epic and wonderful is actually this like ugly weird little object but it's so far off from the 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 focal point in the camera that um it looks amazing right yeah (laughs) because they're using like uh forced perspective a lot of times to make objects look bigger uh they're using like little little special effects like i think they're using fireworks in certain sequences to make explosions oh yeah but like and they are setting fire like there's some of them they'll have big rivers and they'll have like you know three monsters on ones on wires and then like part of the this giant sets on fire like there, if you've never seen those somehow, please go look up some because it, it just – it also feels like a place you want to play. And one of the things we – when we talked about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids a couple years ago, we were talking about like part of the appeal I think of that movie is how fun it would be even as a theme park to go into that world because it just looks fun and amazing. And it like it's it's hard not to see those sets and be like man would i love to walk around in that like an airport hangar that they've they've made a like yeah a miniature miniature city that these actors just walk through while fires and explosions and and other things are 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 happening um but yeah they you know in most of these other movies they have these elaborate scenes where they're shooting tanks and they're doing all these things to stop them and they they do try to stop him not to kill him but to See if, like, if we shock him, if we use electricity, he won't come into Tokyo. Like, that'll be a barrier that maybe he won't want to go past. But they recognize almost immediately from this council meeting on that what's, like, they understand the destructive power of the atomic bomb and nuclear weapons. And if that's what made him, 
what hope do any of their weapons have in in doing a dent? And they don't even try in the way literally every other movie uh, does. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fairly incredible. I think um, how the at first you go that's a little corny it's clearly a guy marching around in a suit and then 15 minutes later you're like oh my god he's destroying the livelihood of all of these people who are real yeah <laughs> it's, it's amazing that the brain trick that happens if you allow yourself to be taken over um um by it because and it, it's 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 a very it's a very charming and and, and, and seductive sort of illusion it's not like um, it's not like a lot of CGI where it's it's like, well, you know, it's not exactly it's you know it's not exactly the movie magic that you love so much, but uh, you're gonna accept this because it's the only way you're gonna see uh, Superman uh, swing around in that suit. So uh, <laughs> fucking fucking <laughs> swallow the pill. And this is like it's a very charming illusion where you're like, well, I did kind of come here to watch cities get crushed and it's more fun to watch an actual object be crushed by an actual actor uh than it is to watch uh computer pixels smack into each other like it's 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 this the pseudimation um which is kind of just a funny term to me uh, of uh these attack scenes is incredible and by attack scenes i mean godzilla's attack on odo island happens i think pretty quickly yeah like 20 minutes and then he has one attack on tokyo basically yeah, well, he does, like, in the outer thing, he derails a train, and there's a lot of destruction. They happen at night. He, You know, he doesn't like, he doesn't like, to your point, the brightness, which, again, stop, doesn't doesn't really come up in, in, in later movies, which is fine. But, like, he's destroying these things, and he's kind of poking in, and that's when they kind of put together the idea of, um, well, maybe if we put electrical barriers, it'll stop him, and... You know, he comes back again the night before and it, it doesn't one, – one thing I love about it, there's not even like – in later movies when they really try to anthropomorphize Godzilla, he would have like hit those things and made like a little wince and a, some sort of like human expression of like, I got shocked. And sometimes he would probably make a facial expression like, ow, and like, you know, move his hand like he burned it like a human would because the, these movies get silly and many times in a very charming way. But – in this one, he just is almost not deterred at all. He marches through and, you know, destroys the city. And they find out that he has this atomic breath, which, you know, in later movies when he's using that as like his trump card in, in fights, it's something that's almost exciting, right? Um, he His, ta- you know, his um, spines down his back glow and he usually like does a little fighting motion like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And in this one, it's just like this thing that just starts happening and causing even more destruction and more fires. And then, yeah, you see um, you you have this long, wonderful, destructive panning shot of just building after it's just panning across the city. Every building is leveled and, and they, they have the entire back on fire, too. So, like, just again, there's no fun. Uh, in the destruction scene, there's nothing like, oh, that was cool looking. They they obfuscate most of it through darkness and, and the wonderful black and white photography. Um, it's just occasionally people screaming stuff on fire and just this unstoppable force just marching through and leaving this destructive wake. And that, that scene is followed, Peter, by that scene of like 
bodies like in a in a war, right? They're just on the floor, nurses are treating them, a child screaming for his mom and everything else and like, you know, they um they're just confronted with um the the devastation that is just unleashed on them. You, the you're exactly right. This the shot that stuck with me most in the movie was not a particular Godzilla special effect, though I do love the shot where the two tanks are rolling down the street and are shooting at, at Godzilla. And and it's it's an incredible looking shot, even though it's clearly miniatures, because um, it, it, there's like clearly a real explosion happening in the barrels, yep. even though it's small. And then there's clearly something happening to the suit to make it appear like it's an explosion. I don't know if it was a small firework or something. Um, I don't know if they would risk the suit like that, um, but it looks fantastic. There's the scene where the mother is clutching her children and she's saying, uh, don't worry, children, we're, we're going to join daddy soon. Um, oh, yeah. It's very, it's the scene that stuck with me most in the movie. The moment that stuck with me most in the movie, even though, like, the spectacle of it is is wonderful. Um, because it's it's telling you, you don't include a scene like that if the goal of this is to be, like, you know, you want to watch a bunch of buildings blow up, right? Like, yeah. Uh, the way that you might watch, you know, the destruction of a casino in Las Vegas because they're building a new one. And you're like, well, there's no one getting hurt here. And, you know, they're gonna, that's that's the way Las Vegas works. You know, it's just continual churn, 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 churn every every month, right? With this, it's like you're watching not just cultural history being erased. You're watching people die. And I also want to touch really quickly here. Like, this movie is nine years at the after the end of yeah. World War II. World War II ended in 1945. It's 1954. That means that there were... 10 or 11 or 12 year olds whose uh, parents had died in the war. Um, these kids maybe seem a little too young to be uh, in that situation. I'm um, assuming their dad died in some other, some other way. Um, <clears throat> some other, some other method. Um, but there were five year olds yeah. that did not know war. Um, they knew the economic impact of world war two and the American troops were there from 45 to 52 yeah. And they did a ton of censoring uh, about information about the A-bomb uh, drops. They can't and be about right. we operate... freedom. Free speech? Yeah. But that's the, that was the interesting conundrum there, is that they were big about um, public speech and encouraging the liberalization of language. And yeah, because Japan has um, a way better constitution than us, like a lot of these countries that we were like, write a constitution, make it good. <laughs> and they and they defended their their free their free speech rights after this like this was this became part of japanese culture is is the idea of expression um and it, and it had existed in a different capacity before but it was just it, it's an american influence that that uh, american media was very focused on uh, allowing uh, voices to enter into it the, the one of the many dark sides of america stepping into japan and uh interfering with their culture um, and this also happened, like, we, America is partially responsible for the death of the samurai. That's a whole different discussion. Um, but uh, the censoring of information about the A-bombs and uh, the Tokyo Air Raids, um, Operation Meeting House in particular, um, because I, I, th I think people remember that perhaps somewhere between 130 and a quarter of a million Japanese people, largely, largely, largely civilians were killed in the dropping of the two, uh, the two A-bombs mm -hmm. uh, during World War II. 100,000 people died in Operation Meeting House, which were the, the, the raids on Tokyo. Like, this is similar to, you know, the Dresden firebombing, where it was like, people remember the, the A-bombs because it's, 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 it's a new weapon, its destructive capacity is, is huge, but, you know... 
like we were we were also conducting these raids with conventional weapons that were genocidal at the time too, all across the world. Yeah. Um, we also did horrifying things in the Philippines, just nodding at that really quickly. The, the idea of this woman standing there holding her child saying, we're going to join daddy soon is so indicative of the tone of this movie, because this is a generation that maybe these, this five-year-old in her hands, maybe this woman thought my child can grow up in a time of peace. Yeah. My child can grow up in a time of, of, you know, maybe we can get out of this recession and come into a prosperity of our own. Japan can build a prosperity of, of its own. And Japan eventually did. Um, but fucking, like, not if ecological disaster caused by the continued dropping of A-bombs and H-bombs um, causes Japan to have no capacity for 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 self-governing yeah. right like the threat of of nuclear nuclear harm on the japanese population never quite left their mind and even even in fukushima when you know there's there's a lot of japanese critics were like yeah like a lot of us were told time and time again internationally like it's it's safe it's safe it's safe but um we ended up being um a test of the test parameters for what what safety means for a nuclear yeah. nuclear site and it failed, um, and a lot of Japanese people got sick after the Fukushima uh, disaster. So, like, it's part of the Japanese history. The 20th century and going into the 21st century for the Japanese people is, is dotted with both colonialist abuse of their own volition, like, that's a whole different piece, but um, colonialist abuse from Americans and the outside and outside influences encouraging them, like, yeah, nuclear energy is the cheap and green way to do it, um, and then it goes horribly, horribly wrong because a hurricane yeah. Uh, Natural disaster visited on these people that were just trying to get energy, yeah. just trying to keep the lights on. Yeah, uh, 100%. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so palpable, right? Like the, the, that entire scene of destruction, like this movie does really good by its non-central characters and really adds shades to everyone is like this, yeah, this, this country that has been visited devastation is still visiting the, the, the threat of devastation and now has been met with, you know, a destruction to Tokyo at a, at a unknowable, ununderstandable level. Uh, let's go back a little bit and, and talk about our, our central uh, uh, threesome too, um, because that get, mm-hmm. that really leads us into the third act. And a lot of the, this is a character. Driven it really movie, is. Yeah. Is very interesting. Yeah. So it's Amiko and uh, Hideto. Em- Emiko and Ogata are the main um, yeah, Hideto, oh, maybe, maybe, Hideto Agata. Sorry. Yeah, I might be. Con- I might be conflating not, not names just first, and, name. first names. Oh, yeah. I don't know either of them either of their first names. I just know what they call each other. For according to the cast list, <laughs> according to the cast list, it's uh, Amiko is first name and Hideto is first name. Ah, so. uh, I think maybe Og- uh, 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 Yamane was calling Ogata that because it was you know his his, his professional name because he considers yeah. him like a professional colleague, not like a yeah. son. Any- anyways, uh, so uh, yeah, they uh, first of all, you know this this movie rarely strays into humor, but I do think it has a lot of funny uh, like sound effects, like very comedic sound effects every time uh, Ogata tries to ask Amiko to marry her and Godzilla attacks. It's like, boing! Oh, whoa, shoot! Can't... No, but anyways, he's trying to ask her to marry her. But it's hard to do when everyone's sad and Godzilla keeps attacking. 
Peter, you asked someone to marry you once. Did you have any issues with monsters attacking? No, I actually didn't. Um, I trying to think. I mean, they don't get engaged. Um, I mean, we shot some rad scorps in Joshua Tree, but that was kind of like which ones? The were black they ones us, or the little or were ones? We hunting them. They're just a standard rad rad okay. They were not, you know, like a legendary rad Yeah, score. like black glands. There was no skull for forty. <laughs> I uh Aaron can I participate think, in the Fallout references now. <laughs> All I know is we cooked him up on the grill and it was worth forty rads yeah. each. Oh great. Um, uh yeah, so they uh they're 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 on Odo Island, right? The the couple the couple starts yeah. on Odo Island and then the action to Tokyo. To yeah. Tokyo entirely like after that. There's a part yeah, cuz they see, they're they're there when the monster crests over the hill. Because yeah. o- Ogata is Sorry, remember I watched the American company. version after this. I told you that uh watching uh, I said this about Brazil too. It feels like being gaslit by a movie you love. Where where you <laughs> see scenes that are close but slightly different, and then you walk away going, "Now which which one had that version?" <laughs> uh, yeah, I but yeah, they they are on Odo Island, but you know most of the descri- destruction, and that's where Doctor Sarazawa, yep. the third in the in the sort of love triangle, um, resides, and that's where Yamane returns to after you know Odo Island is destroyed. Yes, so. They, they're, you know, they're living through both the first, uh, you know, trying to alert um, the 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 village of Godzilla. I think Agata is one. It's like he's the guy out there with the Geiger counter, basically saying, "Hey, this is this is happening. We need something to do." And yeah, they 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 go back to Tokyo. They're there when you know they're having the council meeting and stuff like that. Now, uh, Amiko used to have a relationship with Serizawa. Serizawa was the scientist. You see his lab. Um, and he is, you know, as you learn, he's invented this weapon that sucks all the oxygen out of the ocean and kills every living thing. So a lot of the, the, the really, I think the, the sadness that comes through the last third of this movie is they know they can't stop Godzilla through any conventional means. Serizawa has invented a way, not on purpose, just on accident, like he wasn't designing it to fight Godzilla, just through his studies, he's invented a way that he thinks could kill Godzilla. And then there's a lot of moral and ethical questions around the the cost of introducing that destruction. And we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but the idea that, again, can you actually stop destruction by causing even more of it, by destroying the ocean, by like making sure no life can exist in this space or am i just as bad as as the americans that created it am i just as bad as as having godzilla and and what is my own cost for introducing that into the world and then peter you mentioned it before also the idea that if if people find out about my invention period there's no there's no you know closing pandora's box in the same way that the 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 nuclear destruction of hiroshima and nagasaki led to unending tests in the pacific theater of more weapons uh this which is even more destructive unleashed into the public as a way will not end with godzilla or what if it brings about more destruction in the same way that the h-bombs unleash godzilla and so the movie spends a lot of time wrestling with like what what 
what meeting destruction with destruction means from a moral and ethical standpoint. Yeah, and and, and if the ecological disaster that caused this um, uh, was uh, nuclear in nature, um, will there be unforeseen consequences of this? Even if this happens in a perfect vacuum and there's no you know unforeseen consequences, which, by the way, they're going to turn all of Tokyo Harbor into like this slimy soup. It says it like breaks oxygen molecules apart. Yeah. And, and turns it into sli- like slime. Yeah. I mean, one of the great, I don't want to necessarily ruin this, Peter, but like that, it, that comes back. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, uh, I can't see why, why not. Right. Like the, it's a sad and downtrodden yeah. ending. It's very solemn in it's ending. And it's, 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 it's not an accident, right? The, they shouldn't have woken Godzilla up in the first place. That's the answer. Should not be that we came up with a super, a new super weapon to fight Godzilla. Thank God that science is so powerful. Yeah. Um, the answer is we shouldn't have woken up Godzilla in the first place. Why are we doing nuclear testing? Can't you see what this already did to us? Yeah. Um, can't you see what this already did to to, to hundreds of thousands of people physically, and then millions of people? spiritually and and, and and psychically and emotionally like uh can't you see how this breaks the back of a nation and takes decades to, to come back from like um it's uh dr sarazawa i think is like a, a very noble figure for a mad scientist with an eye patch who, who has his, who has a secret too <laughs> if you have a secret lab and an eye patch and aquariums in your secret lab you should typically not be treated th- with this much uh, empathy and dignity. In a sci-fi movie from the fifties? Yeah. No, you you absolutely are not. But he don't also, worry. The American was, remake takes care of it. Um. Also, he was a he was a Japanese scientist during World War Two. I don't know if you know. There's some. They did some. They did some weird stuff. It wasn't very good. I mean, yeah. He lost his eye. I don't think he lost his eye doing good things in World War II. I assumed that at some point, uh, because uh, even even though it was the 50s Japan, Peter, that they lived in uh, a society and uh, the the J- Japanese version of the Joker, which exists in all myths, um, did that pencil trick. I just imagined like a classic Japanese like folklore drawing, but of a of a guy with a really big smile. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Please no one make that. Please don't. Um uh yeah, so uh that that's uh that is like a good chunk of, of the movie. And also like uh Gata's a little bit like also the stress of like, hey, I started this movie ready to marry my fiance, and now my fiance is spending all this time in a mad scientist lab doing who knows what. Uh, but eventually, yeah, Sarazawa. Sarazawa, what's the actor's name? He's actually in a ton of these. I actually just watched, I'm not going to talk about it today necessarily, but I, I decided to try to watch the other Toho Ishiro Honda kaiju movies mm-hmm. that are in the Godzilla universe. So I watched Rodan and um, another one that I'm forgetting the name of. Uh, he was in both of them. He's really good. Um, one moment. I didn't recognize him from other Japanese movies. Um, he, he, yeah, so he's in a lot I, of Honda movies. I think he's in. I think he might be in King Kong vs. Godzilla too. Aki, Akihiko Hirata. Um, so he, yeah, oh man, he is in a lot yeah. of these fucking Godzilla movies. <laughs> um, so, well, he's in San, he's in he's in also a lot of samurai movies. So he did a lot of um like genre movies. So he did Sanjuro. These um some of these Miyamoto uh, samurai movies. Um, Mothra, Rodan, King Kong uh, versus Godzilla, 
Um, Son of Godzilla, uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, yada yada. He he did a ton of this shit. Let me see if saying. Oh, he was in Samurai Assassin. I should have recognized him. Oh, he's in uh, uh, Archagon. That's the other one I watched, um, which is really good. A lot of fun. He's in some Ultraman stuff, it sounds yeah, like. He's in Ibra, he, so he, he, I don't know if you know this. So Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster is a Godzilla movie. Ibra, Horror of the Deep is a Godzilla movie. Um, yeah, he's in like a ton of these, I said. Cool. He did some He did some other sci-fi movies. He did some Yakuza movies. It's funny, though. He like cool. he plays like a different part in all of them. Even uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla and then Terror of Mechagodzilla, the Showa series really ends with two very connected films and he he's in both of those and he plays different parts in both does he just switch his eye patch to the i don't eye? think he has eye patched in the rest of them he does have in the beginning when when he's introduced we talked about how like he has ominous vibes but it's entirely because he comes into the movie traumatized before godzilla even steps foot in the frame um this guy is is already traumatized from what happened in world war ii um he's wearing sunglasses and an eye patch he looks like um he looks like like a weapons expert from a Yakuza movie. He looks, he looks kind of badass. Yeah. He's wearing like a, he's wearing like a, a, a nicely fitted suit. He's got these like cool sort of like almost 60s style sunglasses. Um, he, he's got a good, he's got a good vibe, but he's constantly you know, sweating. In this yeah. Movie. You know, what's interesting though, too. So I didn't, I didn't realize this. So, I mean, it's, I, I guess I didn't even realize how many of these he's in. He's in like most of the Honda ones, like in some role with the exception of maybe like, King Kong, and then he's also in like the Varen the Unbelievable and the other like tangentially related um, ones, but not not all of them, but the vast majority of them. So he unfortunately died at a young age at fifty six um, of lung cancer when uh, when they brought so they Terror of Mechagodzilla was nineteen seventy three and that was the end that like that was their first retiring of Godzilla that they did. And then they didn't make another Godzilla movie until uh, 1984 with the return of Godzilla. And it says that he was too ill to appear in the movie. Um, they wanted him to come and play a part in the, you know, the first Godzilla movie in 11 years uh, that kind of restarted the c- continuity from this one, but they used him to announce it at the press conference that they were going to make it like, so he was, he was the person who announced they were going to make another Godzilla movie. Like that's how, that's how loved he was in, uh, in Japan for godzilla related uh stuff that's pretty cool i mean we don't usually have the cultural context on how famous these people are because we don't operate within that cultural context but it's fun to get a taste of that and just be like click a random name on letterboxd and be like oh my god this person was like a genuine like cult figure for a period of time like that's it's always fun fun when we're doing research for these movies to find uh to stumble on stuff like that i i but yeah sarazawa's character is really good complicated and interesting and at the end of the movie he uses his his oxygen destroyer device he boy burns um, all the plants and he, so it, like no one can burns make another all the plans. one and you also get the sense but, that like he is very committed to sacrificing himself through this process he is he's melancholy and disturbed and depressed throughout the process however um people are very surprised when he he quote unquote goes down with the ship and I think that he's sort of doing what he's, he's sort of recognizing like the end of World War II when Japanese scientists and German scientists were like scooped up by the West and scooped up by the East to be um, taken in as, as, as scientists in exchange for uh, their lives. Basically, like we're not going to put you up in, uh, on a wall at Nuremberg if you participate in this yeah. Operation Paperclip. Like I think he... Um, 
he, he, he kind of recognizes that like, just because you're a scientist and you have ethics does not mean that that information can never be extracted yep. from you or that information or that he would never lose, um, he would never lose his uh, uh, personal integrity and be like, well, now that there's two Godzillas, I should use, I should build another one of my devices. Like he's like, I I am one for one. I, it's me and Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have easy. to find a new a new fucking way to to beat the next one if they come up because after this, it's not. Yeah, my he's got a lot of Oppenheimer vibes, right? Like I've become Death Destroyer of Worlds, and yeah, when yes, very much he, when he um. When they go down to put the oxygen destroyer where they know Godzilla is underwater and in a great scene, like Agata keeps expecting him to come up and he doesn't even try to come up. Like he just waits and watches Godzilla die and also knows that this will kill him. And, and, you know, essentially he's, he's theoretically, he's watching the end of both the destruction that his same scientific predecessors cause through, you know the Oppenheimer and you know atomic bomb, I don't, and and eventually causing Godzilla, and then of course like you know killing his own as well. So it's it's a very moving scene, and the movie ends with yeah with with uh, Amico and Agata like embracing and crying on the boat, like that, and they both have lost someone. Yeah. This is not a, a romantic rival being being um um vanquished no. this is both of them recognizing the sacrifice that a man made that like the world may never understand and they both like sarazawa basically like he doesn't say it outright but he basically recognizes like yeah you know what actually you two are better for each other because you two are pure and you are the you you are uh, better exemplaries of the next generation yeah. like you you uh weren't touched and 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 spoiled by world war Two. No. like you can be you can be the the, the 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 clean heroes, but like we need to we need to make sure that world lives for another day. So I have done the math, and this 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 particular uh, setup just crosses over the border into um, into ethically acceptable. Like the, the math was yeah. close, I think, for him just being like, "No, you guys have to find another way to defeat Godzilla." I'm sorry. Yep, uh, and it shows this Godzilla turned to um, turned to a skeleton, uh, retconned almost immediately, all the time. Or is the next one a different Godzilla? I think sometimes it's the same Godzilla, and sometimes it's it's a different that there was two of them or something like that. Kind of, I mean, all all of them end up having. Eventually, they stop killing him, right? Like after after this one, they don't kill him again for a long time, and then because <laughs> he's the buddy. Well, he doesn't turn the buddy right away, so that's I mean that's a good way to go. Where he's still a bad guy in, in raids again. He's still a bad guy in raids again, um, and he's still a bad guy in Godzilla versus King Kong. Bad guy in the sense that like <laughs> it's just that like the spectacle of watching two bad guys kind of fight is Well King Kong something. ends King up Kong being ends the up hero being of that of the movie. Good guy. Now I've heard so yeah. the myth that we'll talk about is that like in there was two versions, one where Godzilla wins and one's where King Kong wins, and that's not true. This was like a hundred percent not true. But I guess the endings yeah. are a little different. I'm I, I don't know specifically, I'm excited to 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 find out a little more about that next week. It's not until the fourth one Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, where they introduce uh, Ghidorah. Not Ghidorah. Uh, that's how I used to pronounce that movie as a kid, because I didn't know how it was pronounced, and that has um, apparently stayed with me only in relation to how I pronounce the movie, not the character. Um, 
But uh, uh, Ghidorah Three Headed Monster, where uh, which we will not be covering, uh, but I almost chose it because uh, it essentially Mothra the the Mothra twins convince Rodan and Godzilla to be good guys because um, uh, Ghidorah is such an evil destructive force. So it's after that movie that Godzilla essentially becomes a savior of Japan. Uh, as opposed to, and and Ghidorah ends up being the nemesis, and then eventually there just ends up being which you'll see, Peter, like these the Monster Island films, where like monsters just exist on this island, and and every, no one goes to the island. Sometimes monsters get off the island, or people or people steal islands, or sometimes a boy imagines he's best friends with Godzilla's son, who uh, is trying really hard to learn how to blow fire. <laughs> There's just so many possibilities for what to do with this this character that is a loose representation of what the H bomb was. Yeah. Um, so, but like really quickly, we were talking about before we push on too far. I really want to talk about why Godzilla has such staying power, and I want to discuss a little bit of just combine a piece of criticism, uh, positive criticism, I should say, but a piece of uh, film criticism that um, I, I stole from a Japanese critic on the Criterion DVD. Combine it with uh, something that's either original to me or um, I, I, I just stole it, but it's, it's it got in my brain so long ago, I thought I came up with the idea in an Inception-like way. But I do have like sort of a central theory for why Godzilla resonates with people so much. Um, the Godzilla actor uh, Haruo Nakajima played Godzilla in a, in a few of the movies and was very famous for that, but he... He, he, he adopted, not just because of the practicality, because the suit was heavy, <laughs> um, but he adopted a sumo-like waddle. Um, it's very trademark waddle. Um, and I think that waddle and the slow, cumbersome weight of Godzilla as a creature helps empathize him to a, a larger audience in a way that like would stick in cultural memories longer than a lot of these monster movies these monsters from these monster movies ever would he kind of at times he takes on like animal-like appearances like almost like a bear you know how bears are both scary and kind of cute he's also like cum- he's he's cumbersome and heavy and he's something that like should not be walking around on land like he shouldn't be here he should be underwater he should be <laughs> he should be swimming around and eating like whales or whatever the fuck he eats down in the, the lower sea level and that sort of gravity and the power of, of seeing him sort of do this like sumo waddle paired with the sadness of the movie itself i think helps yeah. sympathize people to godzilla because the villains here um, it really, I mean, it, it points a finger in America, of course, which is fair, but it really, the movie is, is, is focused on, um, let's not re- repeat the mistakes the Americans made. Let's not just dive back into their mistakes just because they got away with it ethically once. Right. And I think he, I think he kind of resonates with kids in, in, in young people in particular, because he's not the villain. But he is a destructive force that people can point at and say, like, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I think kids can see, like, empathize in, not just because he's bipedal, right? And he's smashing toys and toy trains and stuff. Like, but that's all part of the equation. Um, but he's, he's, like, almost misunderstood. Like, he's almost innocent. Um, and, and, you know, you can view that both on, like, a cosmic scale. Like, he's innocent in, in the way a hurricane is innocent. Like, yeah. But but he's also innocent in the sense that it's like he was so thoroughly wronged that him overcorrecting and smashing a bunch of innocent civilians, 
I still think the moral culpability is on the Americans doing uh, nuclear tests at at Bikini Well, And the movie points very clearly in that direction. And Sirizawa does too. Like, I think at some point he says something to the effect of Godzilla being an innocent. Like, that, that he... That he, you know, that he was morally unsure of whether the right thing to do was to kill him. He's, he's our, you know, he's the creation of of mankind and stuff like that. But like, it's the 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 anti-American, anti-nuclear sentiment in this movie is so palpable and like visceral. And there's a lot of clear anger. I said, you know, there's a lot of anger in this movie. And like, the funny thing about the way that the original is held up, it's, it's held up as something that was a commentary on, on, on American uh, nuclear testing and destruction that American do with the nuclear bomb and stuff like that. But when you see the King of the Monsters version, that is like barely glanced at. And so that's why I said near the beginning, like the idea of this being the like shot across the bow of like, the destruct, you know, a monster movie with that's a direct commentary on the destructive power of the A bomb. When you watch King of the Monsters, you go, "Yeah, I mean, I can see it. Big monster caused by radiation destroys buildings. I can see why that, you know, resonated with. Oh my god, this is terrible." Um, and then you see the 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 actual version, and you're like, "Oh, this isn't like a hey, put two and two together, bozos." nuclear power is bad this is like very explicitly nuclear power is or nuclear weapons and that level of destruction is bad also the american did this like it's it's much more clear what their ta- what the, what their ire and their anger is and yeah i mean i think one of the, one of the reasons i like the the he say series the best overall is not not just because i think it actually is the one series that works as a really good like seven movie arc in general but even when godzilla becomes a little more of a defender um in the back half of that like they can't help it he still is always depicted as a more of a force of nature this is not this is not a you know i said we i said good guy bad guy because that's a simplistic way to describe like what the people of tokyo and the way the movie views him the best godzilla movies really understand that even when he is doing good um, and I think it's something the American remake gets mostly right too, uh, the 2014 one. He's just a force of nature, and that force of nature can Im- hit other forces of nature and end up being good. But like Godzilla is never a, even when he's stopping worse things from happening, he's still a force of destruction himself. Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely. And I think like uh, ethically. Um, it's a very complicated movie for what is, you know, when you when you hear about a movie about Godzilla, you just think, well, it's a monster movie. Godzilla is a monster. Monsters smash things. Monsters are supposed to represent some sort of evil yeah. about society that, that we, you know, and other that we can point to. Yeah, no to one goes say, to the ants in them and is like, oh, these ants, save them. <laughs> these ants, if we, if we don't save them, um, we're not worth saving. Like no, let's find the biggest laser yeah. to blow them up. Or I will say one of the one of the uh, funnest things about the Millennium series that we'll talk about a little bit when we get to Final Wars is that it does because everyone is its own contained sequel to this movie. It does allow them to play with different themes and not always make them destructive force. There's one of the funnest movies of that series is called um, Godzilla, Mothra, and King uh, Ghidorah: Giant Monster All Out Attack. Um, not that title was never Americanized, if you can't tell. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, but it makes uh, Godzilla basically a, a demon with a um, vendetta to destroy Tokyo, and makes Ghidorah the and um, and uh, Mothra like, and I think maybe Rodan the like the 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 destructive forces that end up being the savior of Tokyo. That's interesting. I'd like to see I'd like to see more of the sort of riffs like uh, let's take this property and push it forward because I think it's very I think my, my favorite part of um, Shin Godzilla is just them playing with the politics of the early act of this movie where um, <laughs> people are as much interested in uh, scoring political points as they are in stopping Godzilla at the beginning of this movie. And then that kind of slips away and Shin Godzilla is like, what if that was the back yeah. of this movie? What if that was the spine of this movie is that it, t- it costs a lot of money to try and come up with ways to... Um, to defeat Godzilla, what if that money was so bogged down in red tape that, like, the good and kind people that are trying to to stop uh, Godzilla um, have to fight through red tape and political arguments and people trying to score score points for their district and my district hasn't been attacked yet why should they suffer and like all that shit? So, um, I think it's it's kind of fun that that if this is like sort of a um a nexus point for sequels that uh they kind of pull at, at different threads um and shin godzilla clearly obviously speaks to global warming right yeah and, and how like you can you can use political backroom um arguing to make sure nothing happens if your goal is for nothing to yeah. happen yeah um and i i'm excited that's where we're headed right where we this 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 really is the best and again i cannot if you've somehow never or actually i, I it's not that if you've somehow never seen this, if you've only seen Godzilla King of the Monsters, never got around to watching the Criterion release of this or even just one of the other ones that they eventually released, uh, do yourself a favor and 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 do so. It is, it is different than every other Godzilla movie that comes after this. And it's just it's it's I, I don't feel like I'm being any way uh, hyperbolic when I say um it's definitely the best of the 50s monster movies. like there's nothing there's nothing that really compares to this um like the yeah. only the, the only wanna... thing i think that would be kind of close is king kong king kong's doing very very different different things but like this 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 i for me for so many years this movie or 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 my version of the movie that i saw represented a fun monster movie that they made even funner later on with all their different permutations and and being able to revisit it for the first time you know 10 eight years ago whatever and realizing like how powerful of a film this is and that uh you know the america re-edit really robbed robbed the united states of this of the power and the legacy and everything else um yeah it's it's great so definitely definitely uh take the time to watch it's only still only 90 minutes so all these one of the great things about doing this month peter is that there none if these were two and a half hour movies we'd have to really rethink what we're doing uh but most of the movies are like you know tops an hour and a half a couple get a little bit longer later as movies are wont to do but yeah and i I, i'm excited to be have an excuse to give the sillier or the lighter movies more of a chance because i i remember being because i started with this movie um when i started going through the series proper i remember being disappointed that so few of them 
um, were about tragedy and trauma yeah. because I'm a, a sad little, I'm a sad little, little uh, trauma well, addict boy. What doesn't um, help is that the next one is by far one of the worst of the movies. Um, so yeah, we're we're not going to cover it. This movie was um, within a, like a either two weeks before it came out or a couple weeks after they either realized it was going to be a success or it was such a big success they greenlit a sequel. Honda was not available to direct. He was already going to do another movie, and so um, he wasn't involved in that. Um, and that was called Godzilla Raids Again. In uh, came out the I think like nine months later, like something insane. Uh, and it was eventually released in the United States in uh, 1959, three years, three or four years after it came out as Gigantus the Fire Monster, which is very funny to me that they didn't even, the, the, guy, the monster's name is Angelus, and they, they gave it the name Gigantus, and I, I assume they must have put Godzilla somewhere on the posters, but it's very funny. They're like, yeah, new monster, new new hot monster just dropped instead of like really leaning into like, <laughs> oh, this is the sequel to Godzilla. Uh, that movie was not as much of a success, and what's interesting is that like uh, Godzilla versus King Kong comes out in, which is the next movie we're going to talk about, and so I will save that. But that comes out in 1963, I believe. It's a fairly substantial. Yeah, movie 54. Out, so they make one right. the next year, which comes out in 55, and then there's you know they that's when Toho and Honda and everyone else starts making other monster movies they make rodan they make uh mothra they you know they their their focus isn't on godzilla sequels it's on hey let's make more of these giant monster kaiju movies and each one can be about something a little bit different or have a little more surprises and then you know it's not till almost like seven or eight years later that they make king kong and godzilla and then it starts becoming an annual or in some cases i think almost twice a year thing all the way from uh, 1962 to 70 to 73. So uh, we're going to skip the next one. The next one is terrible. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you next time when Zach Groton joins us to talk about King Kong versus Godzilla and then uh, invasion of the Astro monster, which is the second of, of Ghidorah and the introduction to one of Honda's favorite things that he made a whole separate series about, uh, uh, called the Mysterians, um, uh, another movie series that he made in J- in Japan. Uh, but he introduces one of his favorite things that'll become a recurring thing in Godzilla movies, which are evil space aliens. <laughs> uh, good night. Trouble trying to sleep. I'm counting sheep, but running out. As time ticks by, still I try. No rest for God's tops in my mind. On my own, here we go.
we love to watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>